0: Hey Playwright. I'm Tori Rice and I'm Mabel Reynoso and welcome to Hey Playwright. A podcast about playwriting and life.
1: Hey, Mabel.
0: Hey Tori. All right. well, are you reading any good books? Anything interesting?
1: You know what? I I'm reading a book that you recommended. I'm reading it with Sadie. Free Lunch. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. What, where are you or what What are your th- thoughts so far?
1: Uh, well, I, I, it, it's heartbreaking so far, but also very relatable. Like he, his storytelling is accessible, I think. And so I, and, and I'll tell you, you know, Sadie, you know, she's, she's a teenager, it's hard to make a connection but she she was laughing like as we were reading we took turns reading and and she laughed and i took that as a good sign so i think i think you're spot on that kids respond really well to that book
0: Mm -hmm. so so the book is called free lunch by rex ogle it is a brilliant book um, about a young man, it's a memoir of uh, of a young man when uh, he was in sixth grade, and he talks about his experience. Um, he went through a really rough time with his um, with his family, his mom, his stepfather, and and you know having to be um, a primary caregiver for his little brother. Right, he's got his little his toddler brother, and um, I just love that book. Um, you know. It's weird. It's funny that you say that to her because I was thinking today, I'm like, oh, I wonder, I almost bought it for you because i'm I'm going on a book buying spree. What are you reading? Well, I like I said, I was going on this book buying spree because there is a book that I just keep buying for people that I love. Um, and it is called it's a picture book called Milo Imagines the world and it's um it's by matt de la peña and the illustrations are by christian robinson and all i don't want to give it away i keep saying this to you Tor. i'm not going to tell you what it's about but it is the most beautiful book the message is incredible and for those of us that work in the work that we do um it's it's, um, it's a powerful read for many reasons. And we'll talk about, I w- I'll talk with you about it after we'll do, a, we'll do a little book club discussion. It's, I just think everybody needs to read this book and I can't wait to, to share it with more people. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful story and the, and the illustrations are incredible and, um, yeah, it's just really, really lovely. So, so we'll have to do a book club cause I love book clubs, Tori.
1: I think yes. those
0: books are super fun.
1: <laughs> you know, I I've never been involved with a book club. So let me well, let me ask you this. What what do you love about the book club that you've been involved with?
0: I love the conversations. Because okay, Tori, we are teaching artists. Mm-hmm. We talk story all the time but because we work in short form like it has to move the conversation has to move pretty quickly right because we have to get to everybody so we don't have a whole lot of time to deep to to deep to dig deep into these into the stories and so and I love talking story with anybody any sucker who will sit next to me and want to talk story I'm in so that's why I love book club because that's what that's what I get. I get to hang out with these suckers. They're not suckers. They're wonderful people. I get to hang out with people that just want to talk about these books. And what's really cool is that the books that we read, t- that we take turns choosing. You know, so like mm-hmm. one, you know, like it's just every month a different person gets to choose a book. And because our interests are so different, I've read books, loved, fell in love with books that I would never have picked up on my own. 'Cause it's not my stuff. I don't read sci-fi normally. I've read some wonderful sci-fi books. Um, just stuff that, that it just not is not on my radar that I've that I've got to read because of the book club. And it's just been so much fun. So that's that's what I love. And we go out and we have cocktails. Um,
1: Do you have a dirty martini?
0: <laughs> sometimes. But the but my book club, they're 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 very hip. I always feel very middle school. You know, mm-hmm. we I'm like in that awkward phase, and but you're like, but hey one- guys, yeah, hey guys. Um, but once we start talking about story, you know, then 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 I'm in my element. But um, but yeah, but that's I love it. I love I love book club.
1: Wow, everything you were talking about tapped into why I think I'm enjoying the script reading club that I've been doing at Signet. Signet, not Signet. <laughs> what the <laughs> um, I wait, a- wait, wait,
0: you're in a script reading club.
1: Oh my gosh, I think you would love it, Mabel. I hope that um, they offer it again. This is my second time doing it. And like you being exposed to books that you hadn't read, or might not have thought to read, that's the same thing that happened to me. And we get to do a nice, uh, deep investigation into the play. We get to, I I get to hear other people's perspectives, um, which uh, to me is even more interesting than me saying what my opinion is, you know, I really like to hear what other people have to say. And, mm-hmm. and I do, I, I do love talking story as well. But um, it, just hearing what people's thoughts are, and it's guided. So we have a facilitator, someone who knows the plays really well, a director. So it's, he's looking at it with a director's eye and even gives tips to people on how to read a play, you know, because patrons um, of the theater, they may go to see plays, but maybe they aren't sitting down to read these plays before they go to see them. So what a gift to get to engage in this discussion with a director and go, hey, what are your thoughts or how would you stage this or what would that look like? But then also... Um, we get the scripts in advance, and then he sends out questions to just um, kind of keep in the back of your mind as you're reading. But how, how lovely to read a play and then have a lively discussion with other the people who love plays and love theater.
0: You know what, Tori? I bet that having a lively discussion with the director... <laughs> Would be amazing.
1: Well, it is your lucky day because we happen to have him here with us today. (laughs) What? Our guest today is the Associate Artistic Director at Signet Theater in San Diego, California. At Signet, he has directed 17 productions and is the head of New Play Commissions, a program that awards 50K a year for new play development. He was the 2019 Craig Noel Award winner for Director of the Year. He was the 2014-15 National New Play Network Producer in Residence at Marin Theater Company and the 2012-13 William R. Keenan Jr. Directing Fellow at the John F. Kennedy Center. He has been a guest faculty at San Diego State, UCSD, University of North Carolina School of the Arts, and Grossmont College. In addition to directing and producing plays across the country, he has worked on plays and development at the Kennedy Center, the O'Neill Theater Center, Burning Coal Theater, the Hub Theater, and the Rinsing Center. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. He has assistant directors at Shakespeare Theater Company, Folger Theater, Woolly Mammoth Theater, Arena Stage, the Kennedy Center, and Marin Theater Company. He has a BFA from the directing program under Gerald Friedman at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Mabel, I am thrilled to introduce Robbie Lupfy. Yeah!
0: Oh, my gosh. I know, that resume. That resume, that's a lot. You are quite an accomplished young man.
2: That was yeah. kind of embarrassing to hear you read that and have to watch my face as you read that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, it, it's incredible. I wanted to honor all of the work that you've done because truly when I was when I was looking over your bio, I thought, wow, you have been all around the country making theater. And then you landed and uh, so lucky for us here in San Diego. Um, it's It's really an honor to have you here. Um, I have been lucky enough to uh, sign up and be a part of your script reading club at Signet that's being done virtually, and the conversations that you inspire and how you um, navigate and lead everyone through the conversations about the plays that we're reading, it's just, it's wonderful. There's been some very lively discussions, I've learned a lot, and loved having you there at the helm, but I'm talking too much, I want to hear from you. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah,
1: that's that's why we have you here that believe me, people don't want to listen to me talk. Yeah, just ask my husband. Well, this so. might be
2: <laughs> this might be difficult because like as a director, I, I like to listen a lot. So <laughs> I'm usually the one asking questions. So I get a little I get like um, I get like nervous to talk. Like even when you said my bio, I was like I was trying to hide. I'm like, this is, this is embarrassing. But no. so, here we go. No. We're going to figure it out.
1: Yeah, you, you need to own that that it's, um, you know, you, you, you do all those things so that you can get to where you are so that you're, you're building, um, you're putting those building blocks in so that you can approach work the way that you do, or mm. or play, however, however you want to, um whatever word. Well, oh, I use. love that play. I love
2: that play. <laughs> yeah. Disciplined play. That's what I always say. We need to find disciplined play.
1: Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. Um, Mabel and I want to, want to start by asking you as a director, how you approach the plays? What do you do Mm. to prepare yourself to bring those plays to the actors and then start to have those conversations around the table before they even get up on their feet, you know?
2: Mm. Um, I think the easiest answer is read the play, read the play, read the play, and then read the play again. Um, (laughs) Because everything is, I mean. Um, everything's in the play. I mean, a, a playwright is not it, it, is is giving you all the ingredients to work from. Um, and so, in a in a very text based narrative art form, um, that's where I deal with all the mining. You know, I lift up all the rocks. I ask all the questions. Um, I like to keep like a pad of paper next to me at all times when I read a play and I'll just like, I'll just start free writing as I'm reading. And a lot of times that first read makes, I'm writing things that like, I'm like, why am I writing about this Joni Mitchell song? They're not even referencing it. Or why am I writing about this time when I was a kid and I was like looking at the skies in the Appalachian mountains or whatever. And you, but I don't judge it. I go, these are my hunches. I'm gonna have like really multilateral associative thought as I'm reading this play. And I try not to judge anything yet. I ask big I ask a lot of questions at first read and um and then I keep that like what I call like the vomit draft of of me just writing things and I don't look at it for a while. And then I like, we'll do the heavy lifting of like, okay, well, now we're going to do like, what's the inciting incident? Where's the stasis? Where's the reestablishment of stasis? What is our character fighting for? Um, those big dramaturgical questions. And then I go back to that like vomit draft of writing and I go, oh, these initial hunches mean a lot to me now, you know? I remember, um, I remember the first play I ever directed at Signet was this play by Stephen L. Geerges called uh, "Motherfucker with the Hat." Oh
1: yeah. And I remember
2: there was a line that I wrote, like in huge font, as I was typing up that vomit draft, and it was like, like wolves chasing heartache. And I realized as I started talking to designers much later in the process that that line was how the play moved. It was like every every design choice came from that line that resonated with me from that first read. And so you don't know it, you know, Peter Brook calls it like all like the hunch. you always have to follow the hunch. And the hunch is always right. And it takes you like weeks to kind of deny that it's like that simple hunch was always the thing you should have gone with. and um, and I think getting better at embracing embracing that and embracing like, you know, when I take that script and we have actors breathe life into it, at that first read, I know more about that script than anyone in the room. But by the end of that rehearsal process, I'm asking them questions because they know it better than me. Because they're living mm-hmm. in it. They're breathing in it. And I can never know what it's what that experience is like. So if there's a question of like, would my character do this? That By week two, I'm asking them because I want them... I want to create a, uh, a layer of interpretation that they can, or they're an artist, they're gonna bring whatever they can bring to the room. And I don't wanna be a dictator because I used to be an actor and I hated working with directors who were prescriptive. So I'm always open to their line of interpretation constantly as long as, again, it's defended by the text. And when the book is open and we're working with what the playwright has written, I am I'm a purist in that sense. Every mm. single article adjective we need to keep in the script. There is a rhythm that this playwright has fought for to write. It is a autonomous world of itself. And that playwright is painting with certain colors that we need to honor.
0: Wait, so I have to follow up because this is this is something that we've come across before as playwrights. So, so Robbie, do you honor stage directions? This is this is a very
1: this is a hot topic.
0: this is a polarizing <laughs> uh, subject this is the the stage directions. What are your thoughts about stage directions?
2: Here's my follow-up question. Is this a new play or is this an old play?
0: both. let's let's do let's do an answer for both. So new play, new stage directions.
2: Thoughts. I'm going to honor the playwright's stage directions on a new play because my job is to facilitate their vision on a new play. I'm I'm just there as an interpreter. I'm there bringing whatever I can in interpreting their words. But and a new play, it's even in, even the second, third, fourth production, I'm there to honor what's written. Um, I think with an older play, especially if you're looking at like um, if you're looking at a, at an O'Neill or <laughs> um, a Williams, I mean there are certain playwrights whose stage directions are just like, woo, you're just a, a I mean, you're just like right. reading and reading and reading. Right. Um, and I do think that there is something about honoring those stage directions initially. I think you want to go, here's a roadmap, let's see what happens if we just honor these stage directions. But then I do think with a classic, there is, there is an expectation that you want to mess with a bit as a director, as the interpreter, and as the ensemble. I mean, I think that we're all going to bring a modern perspective that's going to reshape how we're viewing um, that play, you know? So I think with a classic, in some ways, you have a responsibility to kind of honor it and then mess with it, mess with the form in some way. But I think you got to know you got to know how the clothing was initially sewn together, you know, the garment, before you start ripping out the seams. Um, and I think that's important. To know the shoulders you're standing on. To know that when Eugene O'Neill is very, very prescriptive with his stage direction, there was a reason for that. Um, so let's honor that until we go, well, how do we now distill that into something different for a modern audience? Mm-hmm. There's some directors that are really brilliant at that. Taking classics and and updating them, Dan Fish, who just did um, Oklahoma, um, honored that text but took it into the modern world uh, in a really beautiful way. Um, yeah, Ivo Vanoff, uh is another one.
1: Fabulous. Oh my I gosh! Take,
0: I take great comfort in that response. Yeah, me
1: actually, too. <laughs> because um... although I remember in the script club we were reading a play that didn't have any mm-hmm. stage directions, right? Yeah, and that's okay too, you know. Yeah. But if
0: if the state if the playwright took the time to, I get the classics, a hundred percent. That mm-hmm. makes sense. But if it's a new play or a newer play, then I don't know, man. There's 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 something there's a reason why the playwright put that in there. And again, I say that I'm very biased as I am as I am a playwright only, um, not a director, not an actor, but. Uh, but you know, I, I i think I think it's important when developing the new
1: work. That's me. Well, that's. Me. I well, agree. Yeah, and there are some directors that come in and systematically just go, ah, "Everybody ignore the stage directions," you know. Yes. So mm-hmm. even on new plays, right? Yeah yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. That's not a marriage that I would enjoy as a playwright. I'm not a playwright, but I have. I think that sometimes, like new play directors, are just failed playwrights. Um, <laughs> And so sometimes I'm like, I wish I could write plays, but I don't. I, I don't have that generative ability to write a play. Um, and so I have so much respect for the playwright and the amount of time that goes into the play, um, and that I it, it would be it would be embarrassing for me to to think that I that I know better, you know. Um, that I know better than that playwright to go, actually, I'm not gonna listen to that stage direction. To me, it's almost the same thing as like when you hear like really bad directors tell uh, an actor, oh, you can ad-lib that line. Or you can, you know, we can, we can change that to meet what are um, we're doing here. You're just like, um, no. <laughs> can you imagine you like as a as like a conductor, me going to a, a symphony and being like, actually, I think Beethoven got this wrong. I think we're gonna change these notes. No, you don't do that. <laughs>
1: The horror! You know, I I lost my microphone in that moment. <laughs> so <I> went, no. <laughs> yeah, that 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 drives me a little crazy. Yeah, I like that analogy too for what you were saying as far as a conductor. Yeah, it's absurd.
2: There's this like relationship with conductors that I've always uh, appreciated as a as a theater director because I think they're very similar. There's this amazing TED talk uh, called "Lead Like a Conductor." And this conductor, he takes you through different ways of leading um, this art form. And it is like, he takes you on one extreme, which is like with an iron fist, the dictatorship, like we talked about, the one that's like the only opinion that matters in this room is is my interpretation of the music. And I've assisted those old school theater directors too, where you go, well, in some ways in a farce when you need to be prescriptive or in a huge battle scene like in Coriolanus or something you kind of go well this works you know what i mean like there's no there's there's no conversation and look it's working but at the same time no one's making enough money in this art form so those actors are not i mean it, it, they're not having they're not being asked to be an artist because their opinion doesn't matter in those rooms mm and then you have the opposite end of the spectrum which again this ted talk talks about these two he he describes it as this conductor that comes to the new york philharmonic who like is so hands-off he says the worst thing i can ever give um a musician is a clear direction because it, then it denies their ability to listen as an ensemble kind of why i mean kind of a good thing but also the flautist had a solo and she didn't know when to start Because all he was doing was billowing his arms and she was like, well, I need some direct, I don't know when to come in. (laughs) And so I think that there is a balance there because I've assisted those directors too where it's just a lot of talking. In act, in theater is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Theater is a series of actions that hit the next action. That's why we call it actors, right? So it's like we, we, it's about the doing and so it's less talk. Like, as soon as an actor starts to talk too much, I'm kind of like, this could all be solved by just doing it, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, you said you've never written a play, but then you you were talking about your collaboration with the actors. Um, you've had the experience of having playwrights in the room with you, right? When you are doing a, uh, a, a staging of their new play right I mean that's happened yeah. a couple of times at Signet right yeah and and how does that relationship uh work for you how how do you um navigate that in the room
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I think it, I, th- <laughs> I think that it's a marriage it's like a. it's like it's like the cornerstone of marriage of the theater it is It is seminal, um, and I think that um, sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes that's okay. And sometimes I'm not fancy enough for that playwright to continue working with me because they need a fancier director. And sometimes I'll say straight up to that playwright, hey, I don't think that um, I should be the person telling the story as your interpreter. I think you need to find someone that shares this experience with you. or it just doesn't work out. Sometimes I have told I have told playwrights in workshops that I felt like they should direct the play because I mm-hmm. felt a little redundant in the room. I felt like I didn't, I wasn't bringing much um, to the space, and I felt like they could do it uh, just as well as I was doing it. And so that's happened. But when you find someone where you really feel like it works, you hold on to them. Um, and, and um, for me, that is, uh, it's beautiful when you find that kind of relationship. And it is a, it, I think in a new play, like I said, I, I'm going to direct it as if the play is perfect, always. Even if it's draft one, I always pretend this play is perfect, and I'm going to look at this play, and I'm going to ask the questions I would ask a play that's won a Pulitzer, you know, and by doing the the question work, then that playwright starts to unpack what they need to unpack from my questions. You know, these dots aren't connecting. Maybe it doesn't matter. And that's why I always have to go is like, these are just my questions. Maybe you don't care to answer that question. And that's fine. That's wonderful. Help me serve the play the best to the best of my ability, you know.
1: Yeah, I can I can see you have this wonderful respect for the playwright. When you're working with um actors on a play, um do you trust them to kind of go and do their work or do you say here is what the playwright has given us and you ask those questions to them and say here's what I want you to investigate? You know, like it's not maybe exactly laid out in the script. Here's some questions that I feel like we need to answer. Does that make mm, sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: I think both, and I think I think that the worst thing. Well, I think something that is really ho- difficult for me in a rehearsal setting is when an actor asks permission. Um, I always just go, "Well, you you're not gifting the room the gift of a surprise, you know? Like mm. we 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 don't. I don't want to have an actor go. Can I do this? Let me preface that, because there are certain things that you have to, if there's violence or intimacy on stage, there has to be communication and there has to be a conversation, usually with another choreographer. Um, And um, however, you know, it's like those big questions, I want the actors to be wrestling with, you know? Yeah, I'll give some roadmaps in like, especially during table work, where we're really unpacking the issues of the play, um, lifting up those rocks, like I said, I think in that, in that instance, I am driving the conversation and asking those questions. But once we're on our feet, um, I'm taking, I'm, I'm doing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like the, I'm like the parent to the, to the, to this living, breathing art for, social artwork. And I'm starting to step away and step away and step away. And, step away. And, and, and in, and yeah, when we're starting to stage and an actor goes, "Can I move I go uh, 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 uh. of course you can don't wait for my permission to say can you go move and pick up that tea kettle or whatever go pick it up you know if that's <laughs> if that's the decision you want to make then make the decision and follow through with it and then we'll talk about it and we'll edit it and we'll see does it work I don't know we have to be willing to fail and I think that that is I think that that not only does that is that the only way to unlock our intuition as an artist is by failure and embracing this path of failure. But I think also, let, let's periscope out for a second. That's not just something we say to an actor. You know, mm-hmm. what about the rehearsal space? There's fluorescent lighting. I hate, I mean, that's not great. That's not conducive to art making. Let's put some like, let's put some great lighting in here that's like makes us feel cozy so we can fail and feel like we're, we can embrace failure. Let's take another step back. Um, plays are expensive to produce. Musicals are even more expensive to produce, and there's really no room for failure in that. There's no space for us to go, well, that just lost a lot of money, you know. And I think, you know, I think that Signet, especially, is a is mid-sized theater. It's not small enough to take huge risks the way a small theater could. It's also not large enough. To be have a huge endowment and a lot of funding that they can like rest back on if something's a failure, so you're making these calculated risks. But I think in the American theater, there has other art forms are allowed to fail a lot more than theater. Make theater is a visual artist. I you know I paint every day as just like a practice. I don't do it for anyone other than myself because it's a way for me to go like, well, that was crappy, <laughs> and move on <laughs> with my day, and so. I think you know musicians. There are other art forms that you know maybe because it's less expensive to make that they're able to fail. But I do think that there has to be some forgiveness um, uh, that we don't. You know, people come to the theater with razor blades. They come ready to destroy the canvas. <laughs> they come ready with these opinions that they want to impose on this, and you're like, whoa! There are so many opinions coming. And as a young director, I'm, you know, as a young director, it was something I really had to fight against, was like, do I care? Do I care what that reviewer just said about this work? Mm-hmm. Do I care that I'm getting these letters from people um, that are really sometimes um, inappropriate um, and sometimes uh, that I just have to go, I always have to ask myself, okay, what's the production they wanted to see? Do I want that production? and always the answer is no. I'm like, oh, they wanted it easier to digest, they wanted less cursing. Right. They wanted uh, a less issue-driven play, whatever it may be, and I go, hmm, I'm not that's not why I go to the theater. So, I actually don't I don't agree with your opinion.
0: I'm amazed that people take the time to write letters. I think that's interesting because whether whether um you agree with their opinion or not, it made them think, right? That's that's the, oh. the purpose of art, right? It stirred mm-hmm. something within them to get them to pick up a piece of paper like that's that's an effort right that that means that the the piece that they saw is extending beyond the life of the 90 minutes or however long that that theater was and they're, they're still thinking about it so so there's something to it whether they mm. or not and, right
2: maybe yes yes 100 percent. thank and, you
1: and you know what else you said it made me think that i hope actors and playwrights listening will take that on too and you know any criticism that has brought your way as an actor or a playwright um to go you know what I- i'm not writing but it-, it opened up a conversation but mm. maybe maybe i'm not their jam that's okay but hey they're talking about me <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it's entirely like <laughs> ego based it's like no. oh well, i'm feeling validated <laughs> <laughs> there you
1: go, Robbie? From now on, any of those letters you can just you know feel very validated
2: that what you you're doing
1: something right,
2: <laughs> but I think that that I think that that's an important point is that like when I get those letters of critique, i really I love a critique much more than whether the blanket compliment. I don't know how to right. take it. I get embarrassed on opening nights, I want to hide from people, you know, and um. And so I really, you know, there was one show. It was a, it was a, a new play, and I got you know, on the same day. I got two letters. One was an email, and one was a handwritten letter. And one was basically saying that they wasted two hours of their life watching this play and how offended they were. Um, and uh, and then the other one was. I took my daughter to this play and for the first time she saw herself on stage. Mm. Ah. And it was just a good reminder of the polarization sometimes that happens. So I, I had I have them both that I can look at where I can go, you cannot please everyone, Robbie. And in some ways, as the director Ann Boger always talks about this, mm. she talks about this idea of like, it's it's really the director's job is like, I'm I gotta believe that my taste is gonna be liked by other people. So other people's taste is my taste. And that's sort of egotistical in a way <laughs> that I'm going, oh, more of that, less of that. Um, but, you know, I can't you can't please everyone. And that's hard sometimes because you want to.
1: Well, it is. But also uh, plays are about conflict, you know, and <laughs> we have to we have to have some of that. We have to have the conversations. Um we need to root for that character going through whatever they're going through and coming on the other side and getting what it was they were going for or not. And what mm-hmm. have we learned or what did we experience during that time in this story? Right. But, you know, at the root of it is is conflict, Want, wanting something, not having obstacles thrown in our way. Right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe it's an opportunity for those people to self-reflect. <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: ask but yourself. I- why is this bothering you so much? That's what I. <laughs> that's what I've started doing. That just to just to like why why do things bother me? What is it saying about me? What's going on with me? Why is it bothering me? But also, I think what you said, Robbie, is really important. I think one of the most important lessons that we can give ourselves as artists is to realize that the art that you make is not going to be for everybody. Not everybody's going to like, there are people in this world that cannot stand listening to Mozart. And that Mm. I don't, that to me is because Mozart is listening to Mozart. It just makes me cry. It brings me so much joy, but there's people that just don't, nope, not for me. And when you put that into perspective, it, well, for me, it helps me come to terms with the fact that there's going to be people that just hate my work, will never connect to it. And that's okay. That's just that's just the way life is, and that's what makes the the human experience so beautiful. Because if everything, like you said, Robbie, if everything is great, oh my gosh, so beautiful, life changing. I loved your work, and you're so awesome. Um, it, it loses its weight when when you don't have people showing you yeah. the position. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and there's there is a there's a there's a danger too when when you become a very successful commercial artist there is a danger of losing integrity in that process oh, yeah. and i think that i've had to i mean the gift of this past year for me has been redefining my relationship with this art form and like you know i almost like took theater to like a couples counselor and i said i was like really going like i think i need to do some serious relationship work because i have a codependent relationship with this art form and i need to take a step back and have a a really a healthier relationship with it because it can be a, it can be difficult um, to navigate, um, and you have to constantly, you have to constantly ask yourself, what is due north? What is my mission statement as an artist? You know, and what am I willing to sacrifice? And what am I not? You know, and and so, but I do to go back to this other conversation of like, Tori, you were talking about like the conflict we have in, as an audience. I think that that is what theater is. I think in some ways theater, because it is participatory, because we're breathing the same molecules of air and we're sitting around strangers, um, it's different than Netflix. It's different than going to the movie theater even, you know? If I go into the movie theater and no one's there, that's a good night. If I go into a play and no one's in the audience, that's a bad night. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. whether you knew it or not, you went to go experience community And you went to go and have a shared experience and a conversation with strangers. And theater, when it's doing its job, is doing the same job, and Tori has heard me say this all the time, that democracy does, which is that it creates bridges of empathy and it realizes that truth emerges between two conflicting ideas, right? And that's why theater and democracy were founded in the sixth century BC in the same City of Athens, and I think that both democracy and theater have gotten away from this idea that we are so polarized now in our beliefs that when we go to the theater, even it's just it's issue-driven plays preaching to the choir in a very safe package, right? Mm
1: -hmm. In a
2: in a way that we feel very safe that we could sit in the dark and experience something and then have a cocktail afterwards and have a conversation about it. We're not. Um, invited to, um, we're not implicit. We're not invited to change something. We are casual observers, I think.
1: Uh, yes. Robbie, that, that is a great segue because I you talked about um, this in the last script reading series that you did. And it was one of the plays that we read. And it seemed to me to be a transcendent theatrical experience for you and yeah. um could you talk about that play and what happened to you as an audience member in that play
2: do you know what yeah. i'm talking about okay fairview uh yep. jackie siblings yeah yep. yeah and that play just won the Pulitzer. but she um uh a playwright who i feel like is uh is knows exactly the art form knows knows and embraces what makes theater special which is that uh exactly what i just said it's participatory um and it 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 is it it invites you to engage the mind and not shut the mind off um and so this play fairview um I, the end of the play i'll just talk about is uh a character breaks the fourth wall, invites the audience uh, on stage. That is white passing. So be- it becomes a real conversation of um, privilege, and they want a- this fair view. They want to shift the 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 that predominantly in American theater there are white audiences watching um, playwrights of color tell their stories. Right in in many times ta- many many instances and so the the lesson of that play is just is just to flip that. What happens if uh, if the audience shifts and we're watching a white a, a white performance on stage? Um, and so, yeah, I, I walked on stage, and then the her monologue was given to the audience, um, not on the stage, so to the non-white um, folk that decided to some some stage uh, that decided to come on stage. Um, and then, it was so powerful. I mean, it was so, so moving because it made you so uncomfortable. I mean, it, 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 the audience didn't, all of a sudden was like, well, this play doesn't finish until I make an action. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was a really beautiful experience. And I hope that when we come back, mm. I hope that there is more theater that is like that. I hope that there is more theater that embraces what it does. Uh, at its best, which is that it, it invites an audience to think. It participates something that is participatory, something that is inclusive,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, equitable, something that is. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think that theater has to do a better job of telling young people why shutting your phone off is important and why being present for an hour and a half, two hours, is important. Or it needs to embrace it. And it needs to stop punishing young people for taking a photo of the stage. It needs to stop doing that. We're not going to have young people continue to come into the theater if you're going to charge the same prices. And then you're going to tell them, you're going to berate them for doing the thing that they do constantly in the day, which is remind people where they are on Instagram or whatever it is. I think that we have to do a a better job of, of going. I think for me, it's doing a better job of going why why we're losing our presence, and why learning to be present and quiet with oneself, and ask these big big questions, is important. Um, it's something that from the from the very first time I encountered art as a kid, I grew up in the South, and um, I didn't you know it was in books until I remember my dad took me on a on this trip to um, we went to Boston and we went to the Boston Museum of Fine Art. And it was the first museum I had been in. And I just remember sitting at these paintings and looking at them and being like, these painters are asking these humongous questions. And I'm having a conversation with a dead person about these huge questions. Like, you know, I remember this one painting and the title was um, Paul Gogan's like, who are we, where do we come from and where are we going? I don't know if that's the actual title, but it was something like that, like asking these ginormous questions. And I'm just sitting there being like, I can see his fingerprints. I can see like particles of hair in the paint. (laughs) And you're asking these huge questions that like, that's, you can't answer that. It starts a conversation, but there's no answer there. I don't know if that was a tangent, but um, I knew I was hooked after that.
1: Well, yeah, because it invites you in. It invited you in and it didn't give you the answers. It allowed you to imagine and to put yourself Mm. in it yeah
2: that's key Tori because I as an whenever I walk into the theater and I see crown molding and doorknobs there is a part of me that just kind of goes hmm I really hope that like this all gets destroyed by the end of the play like I really hope (laughs) something happens I really hope something happens that requires me to use my imagination otherwise like if it's all seeped in Chekhovian realism, that's wonderful, and there's a place for that, and I I love it. But if that's all that's being offered, and there's no there's nothing that requires me to like paint the walls with my imagination, a light cue can tell me that that's a door. You know, like there is something really beautiful about embracing that in the theater, that we're 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 requiring the audience to lean in and paint, just as we do as artists. Mm-hmm. You know. I love that.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful image. Uh,
0: something that you said. So I think interesting because you shared your experience as a child, you went to to this museum and saw this this painting. Um but you also talked about youth in theater. So what and I don't know if you have answers for this, but what do we need to do to engage the youth and to keep to keep theater alive for the next 100 years and so on and so forth because right now it seems very Bleak for young people. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think if we can answer this question, we could win like a like a genius grant or something. <laughs> because I I think this is the, this is the big question. Um, I think it starts by um, you know we need to stop devouring our youth the way that Saturn did to his children. I think I think that in the theater we don't pay young people. Um, and we don't provide a lot of opportunities. Um, and so, if we want the young people to come, how about you give them more agency? How about you put them at the helm of things and you listen? Uh, especially right now, what I tell young people and students of mine is that like, right now, there's a level playing field. I mean, we in terms of like, in terms of like we're all we're all trying to pivot. We're all looking at like, how do we create content? What are we doing right now before, until we can get back in um, shared spaces? And I think young people know exactly because they're digital natives. They know how to use all of this. Uh, you know, there's TikTok musicals being written right now, you know. and so i i I just observe and I listen and i I ask them questions, you know,. Uh, because I really, I think that's the key. I think you got to keep it cheap. I got to. I think you got to also make it make them feel cool. I mean, there are times when I go to the theater and and there's no one that is my age, and you kind of go, well, like I obviously love this and I have no problem with that, but the people who have you know a season ticket to um, the San Diego Padres, it are they going to have a season ticket to this theater? I mean, I don't know. Because at the Padres games, I can drink a beer and have a conversation and use the bathroom whenever I want to, so I, I, I don't know. I think that you have to feel cool in a way. You have to feel like it's inviting for people from all walks of life to enter that space. Um, and right now it, it it doesn't it feels like I'm a peasant among gentry very often, mm-hmm. and that's not a way to get young people or or non um white people into the, the theater for good. Ah, Mabel and
1: I talk about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How do you
2: think? I mean, let's solve this. We're going to solve it. How do you, I, what do you think?
0: I think it starts by, I mean, I, I am, I'm a person of color. So I've been in that, in, in the theater space where I was the one person of color in Mm -hmm. in a in you know a big theater or a big theater and uh yeah it's really it's really disheartening but i for me because i it's really important for me to to make sure that my community is represented i mean i keep i'm writing works and i'm bringing the idea when we open up again is to bring bring work to the schools and to bring like Mm -hmm. i live in chula vista to bring theater to the West side, because it's not, I mean, like Luis Valdez, the Teatro Campesino is not, was not created for white people. It was created to, to engage, to, to educate, um, working, you know, farm workers. And so, so this idea that that theater only belongs to affluent white people um, is just not true, but it, but it's not something that a lot of young people these days Recognize, realize, because it's so far away from them, and ticket prices just to go see the theater—so ridiculous. It's It's not accessible, Mm -mm. right? So, so I think we, as as theater makers, have to do our part if we want this to survive. We have to bring it to them. We have to Mm. have to be more proactive about bringing theater to to where it's easy for 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 students, for families, because not just the kids, right? It's it's the families. Like, make it a family affair and make it easy
1: them so and and also um looking at issues that are important to young people and like you said robbie having those conversations um and i both have children i have a 13 year old and and i really heard what you were saying about technology not um uh punishing them but finding a way to bridge that and embrace it that's really Mm -hmm. hard as a parent because i'm constantly going get off of your phone you know (laughs) but but I also can appreciate some of her videos are amazing. I go, oh my God, like she knows how to do things that I, I still feel like I'm trying to figure out how to turn on my computer, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and she's off making videos in cosplay. So mm-hmm. I, I, do, I do think it is um, having the conversations um, and really listening though like you said, you listen, I think that is a dying art. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about in, in our playwriting classes that one important, I mean, critical part of being a playwright, a good playwright is to first be a good listener. Mm -hmm. You have, you have to be able to listen. You have to be trying to figure things out.
0: So this is the part of the of the show where Tori is going to ask you a question. Okay. Asking for a friend. Go for it, Tori.
1: Okay. Here it is. You're no. sitting <laughs> you're sitting at a theater. The play is about to start. All right. The lights have gone down. The lights have come up on the stage. And the person next to you pulls out nail clippers and starts clipping their toenails. What do you do? <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Um, oh wow! Oh my gosh! Um, oh, I would I I mean I, I would I think I would politely ask why they were doing that, um, and it's it like let, let let's just take theater out of it like in public, you know, just like you're gonna you're gonna cut your toenails in public, you know, um. Uh, there's got to be something happening there. There's got to be. There's got to be something else going on there for someone to cut their toenails um, <laughs> in public. Uh, yeah, I think I would just ask them why. Why? Why are you doing that?
1: That <laughs> actually. That actually happened to me in one of. What the did bigger... you do? It, it. It was an older woman, and I. It was one of the bigger theaters in LA. And I turned to her and I said, seriously.
2: <laughs> she didn't shocking. stop.
1: She didn't stop.
2: I mean, like <laughs> guys, she, she had to say like she took her shoes and socks off.
1: She took, I think she was wearing sandals. She just slipped <laughs> slipped them out I mean, Put it. her feet up on the back oh. of the seat <gasps> in front of her and started clipping. It was quiet, and you hear
2: like oh my gosh okay you should have asked her if she was gonna brush her teeth next or something
1: no really i just wanted to vomit and i was embarrassed sitting next to her even though i wasn't with her
2: oh oh my gosh
1: yeah you should
0: definitely write something about that 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 that's a and it was it
1: was theater it was the play rabbit rabbit hole so it's not exactly a like comedy
2: no not at all yeah. Wow.
1: But you know, she wow. felt comfortable enough in that space to just hey. do some self. Hey, well, there's
2: the shift. There's the that's a good that's a good that's... little shift there. Paradigm shift. She was yep. comfortable. <laughs> she
0: was comfortable. But I like Robbie. I like asking why because I would I'd be the the person that doesn't say anything because I I know that I have to sit next to this person for the next you know. Hour and a half or two hours that I just would avoid that conflict. Okay, um, but Mabel,
1: I, what if she clips one and phooey, it like
2: hits you? It hits you? Oh, no, 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 no. I would, I, 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 oh, no. I like,
0: I like asking why. I like asking why. I think that's, that is, I've learned something today. Okay, in my
1: next play, somebody's <laughs> going to be clipping their toenails. I, I, Tori, I, fi- this I is, find it so revolting. I don't, this, this needs to happen. Yeah, that's the That's, the pro- <laughs>
2: that's it. This, what is what is that? Um, Paula Vogel does those bake bake-offs, where you like she like puts different. You have to like put different ingredients into your play, and she gives uh, you the ingredients. Oh, that's yeah. one of the ingredients. It's a character like a grab cuts your toenails in public. Yeah,
1: she calls it a bake-off. I love that.
2: I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So there you go. All right, all right, listeners. <laughs> your your character, whoever that may be, is clipping their okay. toenails in public.
0: Wait, is the character clipping mm-hmm. their toe, or is there, or is that just like part of the the, the exercise? Just like just the incorporate exercise? that, incorporate that somehow.
2: It's part of the bake. You have to bake it into the play. That's that's good. Love
1: it. Oh my god, what if she had reached over and started clipping her husband's toenails?
2: <laughs> oh my god.
0: Uh, oh okay. Oh what i'm surprised at is that nobody else said anything because see that's that's my approach i'm like i'm not gonna say anything because i'm gonna let someone else have the uncomfortable moment well, i'm not yeah, but i'm the reason the world is a terrible place but if it's like happening
1: me. to you it's it's anything that is surprising or out of the ordinary right you're sitting down you're gonna watch this play and suddenly like you can't believe it, your mind has to adjust like am i really seeing what i think i'm seeing? did she just pull out nail clippers oh yeah you know, it took me a moment and then when the clipping started that's when I said seriously? <laughs>
2: like, oh, yeah.
0: You know, but I'd... she didn't stop, right? She just no, kept going. No, she
1: didn't stop. She
0: just kept going.
2: Yeah, so I've... I try <laughs> I've like I've been in places where people have answered cell phones
1: Uh-oh. and
2: carried on a conversation in
1: yeah. the theater
2: and you're just kind of like, "Whoa, this is I mean, the <laughs> and the actors are right there. They had to stop." Right. On stage, to let this person finish the phone call, you know? Well, Oh my
1: goodness.
2: Or people are too drunk and like, there's like, you know, like we're inviting participation, you know, like it's like one of those kind of shows, like Stupid Nothing Bird or Rocky Horror Show or something, where that's the part of it. And like, there are people that are just really loving themselves and they just won't stop. And you're just like, okay, are we paying money to hear this person have a conversation or are we going to like watch the play again? So sometimes it's a hard balance. I,
1: I was going to say, I guess you walk that fine line, right? It they is, go, yeah. They go, oh, audience participation. Yeah. And they're like off the rails.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: well, you told me I could. <laughs> Two drink maximum at those shows, Robbie. I'm just saying. Mm, it's a good rule. It's, a good rule.
0: <laughs> it's complicated.
1: Yeah, but I do I, I love that type of theater that invites me in. And uh, it really, you know, makes me feel like I'm a little more part of. Mm. Um, I do like that. Even if it's the set extending into the audience or the actors, um, you know, coming out and engaging in different ways. Like, I, I love that.
0: Robbie! What do you got coming up? where 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 can people find you? what What stuff are you working on right now? Anything that you want to plug? I'm um,
2: um, yeah, I mean, Signet, uh, I'm teaching classes through Signet um, right now, some script reading classes. There's some other classes coming up. And um yeah, I mean, we just we're doing these finish line commissions. Bill and Judy Garrett has a um a fund every year, and they we're looking for basically plays that are um, a- out to, they, they just need a one final push to um, um, finish and so we give them a week of uh, rehearsals with the director and dramaturg and um and um, they ask those final questions of the play to get it to completion and um, and what i look for in those i mean a lot of times just like with this new commission that we're doing um, that has a little bit of parameters um, uh, they I, i'm it's more about the relationship with the playwright It's more about like, I really like this playwright's voice and I wanna champion this voice at um, Signet. I want our audiences to get to know this voice and this playwright. And so very often it's um, me cultivating a relationship with that playwright and then going, hey, do you have anything that fits this criteria? A dream project that may be sitting on your laptop, a commission that was passed on by a theater, whatever it may be that you just need a week of rehearsals uh to work on to feel like you could take another pass at it um that's it's all about relationships i think in the theater it's so much about like you know it, it yes it's what i always tell actors is like i gotta want to hang out with you for four weeks you're going to infiltrate my subconscious i'm going to be dreaming about you so like you know this better this, this you better not be an asshole and because i don't, I don't want to work <laughs> with that and so like some people like you know, there are some I've assisted on shows with, you know, marquee actors like name above the marquee, famous actors, and uh, not all the time, but sometimes there's just like their ego is ginormous, oh, yeah. and I just I'm like I'm like just taking notes on how the director is interacting with that ego because I'm like I don't know how to direct an ego, I literally don't. I mean, it goes against everything that I do as a, as a theater maker, as a collab in a collaborative art form. If there is ego in the room. I um I try and I try and like come back conversation with that ego because we all have it to some extent, but when it's hindering the art making, the only time I've ever fired people is because of um, an issue around ego. I'm just like this isn't a team this isn't a team effort here anymore, you know, and I, I, I it has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Do you want it? I, I do have a prompt. That's not, the, that's not the... Oh, yeah. Oh, no. yes. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: please, please.
2: And I, I don't know. I, I was like... Re- this was, like, really hard for me because there were some good prompts in these podcasts that you've had. I'm like, these are really, really good. Um, but I was thinking about this idea of, like, uh, that theater to me is about creating bridges of empathy. Um, and that theater... Uh, I'm always interested in the conversation of, like... Like, what's where's the play with like that BP executive when like the oil spill happened in the Gulf? Like what is happening in his mind, you know? Like what is, in and, and, and cause he's got kids, right? I mean, he drinks coffee in the morning just like everyone else. I mean, I think I'm always curious about what the people that I normally would not want to start a conversation with in my life. Uh, what is their story? And so I guess my prompt was to, like, make a list of people that I hold some resentment towards. And they can be specific people or just in the abstract, because I also think that, like, I I hold resentment towards not just, like, an easy one would be, like, you know, you're, like, con- Confederate flag-flying Trump supporter. Um, but also, like, you know, maybe I have resentment towards that college that didn't accept me. Or maybe I hold resentment towards my art form like i said Mm -hmm. i wrote a letter to the theater this year it's like i i there's some resentment there um because i think it's really hard you graduate from college they say only four percent of you will ever make a living doing this and you go well i gotta become a workaholic i gotta like you know and Mm -hmm. so i would say make that one list of like who do i what is my resentment they can be abstract or specific um and then make a list of the opposite. Make a list then of those people and things that you have hurt, you know? Because not only do I feel resentment towards theater, but also I have hurt theater. I have exploited theater for my advantage, you know? I have, I have made it an excuse to not do those certain things. I didn't go to that wedding or that funeral or whatever. I made these excuses. And so um, I think you have those two lists. And then you pick one, pick one on each, and make amends. Just make amends. Mm. Write a letter to make amends with some resentment you're holding on to, and then someone you've hurt or something you've hurt. It could be in be the, in the abstract, like I said, because I feel like as theater makers we have to be, we have to start those conversations about empathy, because no one else is doing it right now, at least, it, at least not in. I think that we. The people who come to theater are the NPR listening audience, you know? And so I think that we want to start creating these bridges to people that we don't always interact with in plays that don't just affirm our beliefs, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe that's a starting point. I don't know. To start with yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's a
1: great one. Yeah.
0: Robbie, this has been so wonderful. Uh, Just, you really captured the. The essence of of what it means to be an artist in this collaborative form, like you mm. really embody the the true beauty of why theater is so is so wonderful. At least for me, because I, I you know I'm just like I said I'm just a writer, and there's there the the actors and the director they all bring their own craft into it to make something spectacular. And I think you really um, it seems that you really uh, value that and are about elevating it so so i think mm. i think it's a great message to put out there to to our listeners our moms. Mm, that's beautiful i think we have more listeners now i'm just saying yeah maybe we have no, four or five so. now
1: we do i appreciate um all of your wisdom and i look forward to seeing what you continue to do in the theater you know today and beyond
2: thank you so, and thank you for um Asking me, like I said, you're I, I really enjoyed listening to these
0: Tori, that was amazing. I could talk to that guy for hours and hours and hours. I, what a beautiful he, human.
1: yes, i I could too. He, he he's everything he like I hang on his words, you know? yeah, like I got speechless a couple of times because he yeah. would say something, and it was so profound. He
0: seems like such a joy to work with. Right. Um. All right, cool. Well, I guess that, that about does it for us. Hey, world, if you liked what you heard today or didn't like what you heard, feel free to leave us a review. But if you did like what you heard um, and you found value in it and you think that someone else might find... Uh, the wonderful interview. I can't, you know what? That this is an interview to share because it's so, I feel like there were so many nuggets of wisdom. With that, Tori, I would like to bid you a happy final day, final week in February. <laughs> Never mind. I'm just going to shut up.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, everyone, check us out share, invite your friends and family. It's not just our moms anymore. We know we have more listeners. We do know we have
0: more listeners. Uh And
1: we've got um, some fun uh, events that will be coming up. So do keep listening. Um, (laughs) All right. Until next time. Until next time. Bye.